Hello, you're listening to Dwell on Truth. My name is Brenton Powers, and on today's show, we're going to replay the highlights from our last visit to the Flight 1080 show, where we debated an atheist. So enjoy. You're listening to AM 1080 KSEO Santa Cruz. Flight 1080 is back in the air. Joining us today is, well, we have several of our friends, several of our uh, favorites here. Over in this seat, we have our good friend, Timothy Walton, joining us. Timothy, how are you doing? Hi, good afternoon, Dave. How I'm are you doing? doing? well. Good, yeah. good. So am I. Good. Glad yeah. to hear it. Yeah. And over here on this end, we have Brenton Powers and Daniel Bodwin, if everything went accordingly. Are you guys there? This is Brenton. Dan is on his way. Okay, well, thank you. you for joining us today, Brenton. I don't know how this happened, but last time, uh, last week when Timothy was on the air with me, you guys, or you specifically called in a few times to, to have a conversation with Timothy, which I thought was turning into a, a fantastic conversation. And somehow, some way, uh, there was a scheduling mix-up, and I had you both scheduled for today. And I thought, man, that is just going to be a, a fantastic opportunity to have you guys speak with each other about an issue that is um, not just a, a hot issue for you know, I was thinking today, boy, this is going to be a good topic. And then I think that's a terrible thing to say, right? Because it, it's more than just a topic. It's not the right way to think about it. But today is, is going to be, I think, a great look into an important issue. And I, I don't want to say a great show because that sounds, you know, that's just, it's not like that. It remains to be seen. <laughs> that rings true, too. It could be a terrible show. It could be a terrible show, Brenton. It could be. You don't want to jinx it, do you? <laughs> no, I don't. I know All you're right. superstitious about saying it's going to be a good show, but I like to have hope. I'm an optimist. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. <laughs> uh, hope, yes. I, I like to have hope, too. But it, I, I do like to start off the show by telling my guest it's going to be a terrible show. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't like to jinx myself. But uh, today I have a feeling that it is going to be an informative show, and I think the listeners are going to enjoy it. So um, how, how do I introduce the issue, Timothy? Do I ask... Well, last time we were talking about abortion, yes? Mm -hmm. And I think that Brenton called in when we started talking about at what stage in development is it a human. I don't know if that's an appropriate place to start off a conversation like that, but um, what, do you well, what do you say, Timothy? I think that it makes sense for the sake of our listeners to just briefly set out what our positions are. Mm -hmm. So, for example, my position is essentially that abortion is a medical procedure that should be done in consultation with a medical professional and that the government should not regulate it in any way. And Brenton, I think, will have a different position that I'll let him uh, summarize. I didn't know we were going to be talking all about abortion today. That is a tangential subject to, I think, last time I called in because you were talking about some more fundamental concepts such as truth and mm -hmm. morality and whether things are objective and subjective and whose worldview is most consistent with reality. Ooh. So that's what I'm interested in talking about. Not that we can't talk about abortion or other hot button issues that are in the news today, but I think it's important for us to examine our foundations and talk about how we know what we claim to know. Or maybe I don't want to misrepresent Timothy's position, but um, you last time wanted to talk about epistemology, the study of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So all of these subjects are fair game, but I think my position is on the solid rock of that we can know truth and we can know uh, morality, what is right and wrong based off of some objective realities. So we can get into that if you're willing. 
Um, okay. Yeah. yeah, that works for me. Yeah, I, I'd rather, I don't like talking about abortion. I, I don't want to say, hey, this is a show about abortion. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. a good way to chase people away. I, I love the other stuff that, you know, that's a part of the bigger picture. Uh, so, yeah, let's, let's talk about it. Great. So, defining positions. I will, since you said what you believe about abortion, I'll say just a basic. What I believe is that every human being is created with value, dignity, and worth. And that uh, is because we are created in the image of God as a foundational truth from the Bible, I believe, is the truth of God revealed. I know you will dispute that. But I think apart from acknowledging God and his truth and his right to judge humanity for good or bad, um, then we're kind of left floating in midair, just basically. Based on subjective preferences and likes and wishes. And wouldn't you agree with me, Tim- Timothy, that uh, wishful thinking is not the way that we uh, make something true? You can't just, well, because certainly. you want it to be true, doesn't make it true. That statement is, is true. I, I'm not a, a fan of hoping something into <laughs> existence. But I also think that it is possible to have a set of ethics, to have morality to understand certainty and truth without reference to a supernatural being, such as God. Um, well, we'll see if such a thing is possible. I'd <laughs> okay. like to ask you some questions, and you can ask me some questions. I think a free-flowing conversation would be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Daniel just arrived, and uh, yeah, welcome, Timothy. Glad to be talking with you directly. And Dave, too. Feel free to moderate. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I don't know how to moderate. I don't know enough questions. I don't know enough about which you about what you guys are talking about. So I, I'd rather just listen to you guys, man. I, mm. I I'm looking forward to this very, very much. This is going to be fantastic. Yeah, I, I, based on our conversations in the past, I think that it's likely that we're going to have a, a very respectful and intense discussion without um, anybody needing to necessarily jump in and separate fighting people. <laughs> Right. I, I don't anticipate any fighting or yelling, and I also uh, don't anticipate any disrespect or, or any of that stuff. I think yeah. this is going to be a fantastic opportunity. Uh, I've always, you know, respected you, Timothy, because, okay, so let me just, I was thinking about this today. How how do I feel about these guys? Because, Timothy, I, I think you're great, dude. I I like your informed stance on, on this side of, of the not believing fence, right? Mm-hmm. And and Brenton, I, I, I admire him so much, him and Daniel both, uh, because of their faith and what they do for people and, and just the whole thing. And and I think that Brenton and Daniel is who I would like to be. You know, that, that's, that's, I would like to be that. But Timothy is what I am. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, so I, I don't, I don't know where, I, I don't know what to say other than that, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you for the kind words, Dave. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, I don't know if they're just kind or what, but um, yeah, that, that's that's where it is. And I'm looking forward to hearing you guys talk uh, because, Timothy, I respect your knowledge and your kind of resistance and Brenton's uh, compassion and understanding of the Bible as well. I'm, I'm just totally excited about this. Yeah. Well, cool. Let me underline that compassion. We do not hate people just because right. we disagree with them. You right. can love someone and disagree with their, the ideas that they're speaking and... I think it's a good and loving thing, actually, to do, to call out, if you hear something that's a bad idea, call it out and say, hey, that that's, might not be a good idea, and tell us why. Agreed. And that'll help us avoid uh, unfruitful arguing. But, uh, yeah, Timothy, I'm a little nervous, I'll be honest, because I know you're a lawyer, and uh, I've heard your debates with Joshua Fontania mm. on the existence of God. But, you know, maybe we'll try a different approach today than something you've encountered before. 
before. Okay. Which which I would say that debate that was like four years ago. That's when I first called the show. And thank you for opening the door for me to uh, bring in a counter position to yours. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to hear your thoughts. And Daniel's here. I don't want to uh, hog the mic, but uh, that's okay. I can just hide back here in the corner. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Timothy, do you believe in such a thing as truth? Certainly. Okay. How would you, what's your worldview about the truth? How would you define truth? I, I think that truth is something that's found. I am uncertain whether truth changes over time because it may or may not. Uh, I'm, I'm not certain about that. But I think that at any given point in time, it is possible for something to be true whether it is known to be true by humans or not. So it sounds like you believe in objective truth. Whether we know yeah. it or not, that's another question, because yeah. truth isn't dependent upon my feelings. Yeah, Correct. something that's out there rather than something that's just a matter of our, of our personal feelings. I, I believe that the Earth has revolved around the sun for as long as the Earth has been around, and whether other people believed that or not doesn't change that fact. We would agree with that. And you know that how? Through scientific observation, the scientific method, you've observed it yourself, or are you trusting in the scientists uh, you have and tell you? I'm trusting other people. Yeah. Now, how do you know your reasoning is valid? Well, I don't believe in 100% certainty. I think that it is possible to be more certain about some things than others. And if somebody were to prove that we live in a matrix sort of situation, right? We're just brains in a vat being fed stimuli by some more powerful being. I mean, that could be true. And the fact that I have consciousness and go through my day acting as if I'm understanding reality doesn't necessarily, I mean, I'm 99.9% .9 certain that that's not the case, right? But but I, I'll admit to... that too. Yeah, right. <laughs> so what would be the thing that you're most certain about? Is that we're not in the matrix, that we're not a brain in a vat? That's 99.9. I would start with Descartes. The, the, the thing I am most certain about is my own personal existence. Okay. I think therefore you are. Right. Right. Okay. I think that's great. We can agree that there is objective truth. We can know certain things for certain. And the basis of, uh, you've studied some epistemology and street epistemology, I know, correct? Uh, I was a philosophy major in college and I had a semester course on epistemology. Okay. So you know that there's different theories of how we know what we know. Mm -hmm. And certainty requires that you know everything or you know somebody who does. Here's here's my position. And, okay. You know, in order to know something for certain, it's not enough just to rely on our own reasoning. How do we know our reasoning is valid? If you say your reasoning is valid because your reasoning is valid, then that would be a circular argument, right? Mm -hmm. And so we need something solid, someone who knows everything, because if we know something and then you learn, you get further information later, that there is a matrix, then you have to scrap what you thought you knew because of what you didn't know that will later come to pass. So in our Christian worldview, we know someone who knows everything, and that is God, and he reveals to us information in such a way 
way that we can know it for certain. And he's revealed things in different ways. So we have a revelational epistemology, which means we know things because God has revealed it to us, and God knows the truth, and we trust him to speak the truth. He's our authority. Let me uh, ask you this. Um, can you provide um, a definition that you both would agree upon for the nature of God? I think so. The most basic definition would be the uncreated creator of everything that exists. I mean, there's a lot more detail that you could go into, but that's that would be a general definition. Yes. And omniscient? Hmm? Omniscient, yes. Yeah. And omnipotent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All-powerful, yes. And I assume good. Of course, he's holy. He's more than just what we think of as good. He's morally perfect. Um, so yes, God is good by definition and the definition of all that is good. I, I'm curious from, you're asking if he's good. What would, how would you define goodness? Uh-huh. Because we know how we would define goodness, yeah. but if you're asking if God is something, we kind of need to know what the definition is from your perspective. Sure. Something good, anything. Um, I, I guess I tend towards a, a utilitarian viewpoint in that I think that generally speaking the things which tend to bring more happiness to the most people is good where things that tend to bring pain to people is bad let me ask you this what is good temporally or eternally because that makes a big difference, wouldn't you say? Sure. I, I, I guess I have to say temporally because humans have not always existed. And I'm not sure that it makes sense to assign ethical labels to random bits of matter floating through the universe before humans existed. And, and I get that. And the reason that I ask that question specifically is because we're going to make, uh, we're going to define goodness radically differently depending on our worldview. Okay. So what you may see as good from a utilitarian point of view, mm -hmm. what is good for people or makes them happy in the short term, mm -hmm. may be something totally different than what we're going to see as good because we're not just thinking temporarily. We're thinking what happens after we walk out of this world and into the next one. So it makes it difficult for us to even define good in the same way, wouldn't you say? I agree. How would you define good? Yeah. Well, we would define good as God defines good. That what were we created for? What um, fulfills our purpose, our need that God built into us? Um, and ultimately that purpose and that need is to glorify God and to have relationship with Him. So when we look at what is happening here on earth. And of course, life is difficult. Life is painful. Um, so we're going to have difficulty. We're going to have problems here. Um, but ultimately, we're looking toward the future, toward the hereafter. Not that what's happening here doesn't matter, but you're going to be you're going to be dead a lot longer than you're going to be alive. So what happens in eternity matters infinitely more than what happens here. So that's going to affect how we impact or how we uh, interact with people rather. Brenton? Yeah, just summing up real quickly, we we're talking about truth, and based on the truth is our morality. So we'll talk more about that as people call in and as we have a great show together. Already it's going great. Okay, so we have two phone calls. They're both uh, from Coralitas. We have plenty of room, 479-1080. Let's see what Scott has to say. You're in the air, Scott. Thank you for the call. Hey, Dave. Hey, Dave. No, I'm no, not no, Timothy for a long, long time. time. Probably, Probably one, one of, of the smartest, smartest people, people I've ever known. known. But I want to make something clear that I don't think he explains. He was born and raised in, in a family from what I think the first 17, 18 years of life 
preaching all of these words, studying the Bible more than anyone I've ever known, read every almost every version of the Bible. He was a child that's being a man of Jesus. And then you get to a certain age, and you start to say, wait a minute, there's got to be more. Then you start to realize as you become a teenager that some of these things you're fed as a youngster are lies. They're things that religion tells you to do out of fear of the Lord. And you all know this, fear of the Lord. So when you're raised like this, you, you start to go, well, wait a minute. This, if this is not true, and this is, they've been telling me this, then maybe this is a lie. And you start to realize that some of these morals and some of these things you've been reading, I mean, Timothy would sit and tell me about some of the evils of the Lord and some <laughs> of the crazy things. And I would sometimes, we would sit and cry together. I'd be overwhelmed by it. And you get to be a certain age in your teens and you say, wait a minute, this can't be true. I got to leave. I got to go out and find the world. So the kid comes to California and starts to learn more about life. And you realize that, wait a second, I've been hidden in this weird religious bubble, which has a lot of beauty, a lot of truth, but a lot of delusion, a lot of lie, a lot of fear. And with that comes a disillusion. And with that, the Timothy of now as an adult can talk about he's not anti-religion. And, and I'm going to leave it there, but I want you guys on the other line to realize that Timothy knows the Bible. He's, 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 he's lived it. But you're not dealing with some guy who just is blasé, and he's a lawyer, and he's going to talk, you know, big talk to you. You know, <laughs> I'm, So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it there, Tim. I love you, and I'll speak to you guys later. Thank, Thank you, you, Scott. There was a lot in that phone call, Brenton, Daniel. <laughs> wow, we're up against the Pope, basically. Someone who's, <laughs> who knows the Bible so perfectly. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't want him to overstate the situation. Well, I, I you know yeah. what, dude, I don't. I, I didn't go to seminary. You're one of the most knowledgeable people I know about the Bible, Timothy. One of the most. Brenton and Daniel also uh, up there. No doubt, you are well versed in the Bible. So. I've read it many times. Yeah. Uh, you guys have any response? Though, I mean, I think. Well, it's such a compelling story background. I think it's only fair if we get to share our background. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll talk Dan up. No, just kidding. No. I think it's best for someone to represent themselves. It's sometimes we get whitewashed. You know none of us are perfect. None of us have a perfect knowledge of the Bible. None of us have brains that are steel traps that remember everything correctly. And sometimes the stories that we tell or people tell about us are not the most accurate. So, you know, we have to take everything with a grain of salt. That was a little embellished, I think. Uh, Dan and I have been Christians for over 25, maybe 30 years, and been preaching the gospel for a long time, decades. Um, I did go to Bible college. I actually taught at a Bible college, Calvary Chapel Bible College. Europe for two years. I've been a missionary for more than a dozen years. Dan has also has his own credentials, but you know, <laughs> we we do know what we're talking about, but more important than knowing just facts or cherry picking facts from the Bible is understanding the whole point of scripture. Mm -hmm. And I would say that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in the Bible because they took away the key to knowledge. And he said, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but these are they which testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And so you can read the whole Bible and get a bunch of facts, but if you miss the whole point, it's like straining out the gnat and swallowing the camel. The point is, we need Jesus. He's the Savior. We need to receive Him. And if we miss Him, and we think it's all about all these side issues, then we're really missing the whole point. And so it's not just education, but it is Jesus personally that we need. Yes. See what Alejandro has to say. He's calling from Corlitas as well. You're in the air. Hey, how's it going? Good. How's it going, Alejandro? Yeah, good conversation. Um, that was, you know, it's 
obvious for anyone to see that when someone calls in like that, I couldn't understand really the point he was making. You know, God bless. He was just trying to support his friend, and we get that. There's you know nothing wrong with that. I understand, but I couldn't understand it. I I mean, it's too much, too fast. And so, what is the difference from Timothy and you two folks? I think the the starkest difference is that I am a self-avowed atheist, and we are both self-avowed Christians. This uh, Timothy. Yes. Yes. You're a self-avowed atheist, but you read the Bible a lot, though. I read a lot of things, but yeah, the Bible is okay. is something that That's I have read. That's my first question, and, but I want to add a note that there is people who worship um, a lot of things that are uh, the opposite of what um, God or Jesus is, and they do read Bible as well. So, but and I also wanted to ask um, second question. So, where to all three of the guests? Uh, where do you think where were we created from? And I mean, are we from outer space? Are we from, you know, because they're going out and looking with their telescope now and this and that. I mean, what what is the relation to your belief and the relation to where creation is from? So if if you're a Christian and you believe that... yes. You get my point. So, if you believe that we're from outer space and the Big Bang and this and that, or do you believe that we're in a firmament, the four corners of the Earth under a dome? Yeah, it, that would be a neither one. All right. Well, let's answer the question. Thank you for the call, Alejandro. Yes, thank you very much. Um, and, and it would be neither of those. Um, we are not flat earthers. We don't believe that we're under a dome and that there are four corners of the Earth. That's an extremist view. Um, we believe we we, as Brenton said, we have a revelational epistemology. We believe what. God has said about his creation. We believe that he created by speaking the universe into existence. Um, We do believe that it was created as Genesis describes, um, that it was specially created, that the earth is relatively speaking young, and that the um, universe continues to work and the earth continues to rotate around the sun by the power of God, by his upholding the universe. So you don't believe that the earth is millions of years old? No. No, do you? Yeah. Oh, oh not, not billions? billions? Uh, well, uh, I'm not certain. Or trillions? The, I, I don't know what the number is. Um, it, I believe that it was around for a lot longer than I have been. And... Um, I believe that uh, science has shown a lot of evidence for uh, the theory of evolution and that simply plunking down creatures fully formed as suggested in the Bible did not happen. Well, I think God is able to plunk down creatures fully formed. Uh, He can do it right the first time. He doesn't have to use a... By your definition of God, that's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, we're being internally consistent. You believe in evolution. We believe in special creation, and that is a mm-hmm. stark difference between our, our worldviews. I would say that evolution is not a good foundation for knowing what is morally right, because if it's without purpose, it's unguided, there's no intelligent design, then neither is morality uh, guided or objective in any way. You just have the majority, going back to what we talked about in the beginning, you just have if, if a subjective morality. If it's good for one person, it may not be good for another person, and so you don't have objective morality anymore based on on evolution, we're just like the animals, and we might as well act like animals then. Well, I don't agree with that. Um, I, you don't I, think I, you're an animal? I, oh, I know I'm an animal. I'm, I'm absolutely a beast. But uh, I don't think that the lack of a supernatural being means that all ethics are out the window. Um, humans 
have had consciousness for quite a while and have considered these ideas and come up with a number of different ethical systems, not all of them necessarily the same. Um, and you could put a value judgment and say one is better than another, but um, just because we went through enlightenment um, without um, necessarily going to religion for ethical systems doesn't mean that there are no ethical systems. Well, how can you, I mean, you have to make, you're making value judgments yourself between different ethical systems. Mm -hmm. How can you make any value judgment? What is your standard? that you start with. Yeah, you need a basis for You need a basis for morality. Right. If, if one sure. thing is claimed to be better than another, how do you test what is better? Well, uh, the, the immediate test in my mind um, is pleasure versus pain. Um, I think that um, nearly every uh, living being that we're aware of shies away from pain and gravitates towards pleasure. And that's, that's true. So well, I, I would start there as, as a, a, a means of applying a value judgment. Can I, can I ask a question about that? Sure. So if it feels good, does that mean it's always right? No. Um, the, the first ethical hedonist was a uh, philosopher, 5th century BC, um, uh, known as Epicurus, who um, discussed that um, he wanted to take the long-term pleasure into account. So, for example, um, drinking wine to excess might be pleasurable in the moment, but then you have to suffer the hangover the next day. And So, it was the idea of spreading out pleasure, you know, over the longest period of time possible rather than hitting it all at once and potentially causing more pain. That was his idea. He tended yeah, to do a lot idea. of gardening. <laughs> I guess if you love gardening, that's fine. <laughs> but, but once again, it's... Um, there is there is a personal preference, but there's really no moral ought. You know, if one person gets pleasure from stretching those pleasurable experiences over a long period of time, and another person gets more pleasure from subjugating that first person to his will for his own benefit, mm. how is one superior to another? Well, it's just, yeah. it comes down to personal preference and exercise of power. Uh, yes and no. I, I, I mean... Uh, I, I said that I, I tend towards a utilitarian viewpoint, and what I mean by that is along the, the lines of John Stuart Mill, who was seeking the greatest good for the greatest number of people, and not that um, he was looking for mob tyranny exactly, but that we can look at specific situations and apply a value judgment based upon what is best for most people. So in in the instance of somebody who gets enjoyment out of punching somebody else out, we can say that their pleasure in that is not good because it comes at the pain of another. But why as I I as an individual, why do I care? 
I would have to. That's say, what it comes down to. Sorry, Dan, to interrupt. Yeah, because you I, have, I have empathy. Have to say you're, you're not going to be consistent going back to the, the last week and the topic of abortion. Like if your right, if your rights ends at someone else's nose because it's wrong to hurt other people, mm-hmm. then murdering a baby in the womb is the is one of the absolute worst things that you could you could believe if that's really what you believe because that's a well I don't they, think it is murdering a baby what, six weeks and their heart is beating and they have uh, I mean I, we don't have to talk about abortion but I think that's one area of, of contradiction in your worldview um, you may see it that way I, I don't I, I I don't see it as the murder of a baby I, I think that there's a reason that um, uh, it, it's called a zygote at one stage and a fetus at another um, and because um, people want it to be in, in, that's why they changed the name yeah yeah well it's um, inconvenient to yeah, call it a baby but that's that's, uh, what, that's what it is uh, you think a fertilized egg is a baby it's a human yes. being it's it, it's yes it is a human baby okay yes, if it well, is given nourishment and shelter it will continue to develop it's just a specific stage in development yeah. and you're a specific stage in development <laughs> it's also people a parasite say, no no by by no, your it, by any definition of parasite oh a, a human fetus uh, is is parasitical that is just an argument to make people take your side and throw away the well, value that, of that unique <laughs> human being that's the thing is about persuasion you, is you argue to try to get people to take your side uh-huh. yeah and that, you're, and you're very good at that but by your own definition of what is the the longest term good in the moment it may be sucking the life from the mother while, while it's in the womb for nine months but then you get a, a fully formed human that is going to be a blessing to not only the mother and father and society not always uh, there's plenty of unwanted babies that are born into um, poverty and and despair and and pain but you, you're not suggesting that because a baby is the level de- of dependency in the beginning is very strong that means it, it could be killed because of that level of dependency is in your words parasitic I'm saying that there are definitely situations where a baby could be born and into um, a, a family dynamic that is not good and that like all right for example what if what if um, a, a woman is forced to carry a fetus to term dot the the baby can't care for itself um, is it necessarily better off than um, is society better off with an unwanted baby instead of a a, a woman who was able to overcome depression um, after an unwanted pregnancy and maybe go on to have other more healthy children later on I know we have phone calls to get to that was kind of a complicated question but to simplify it if a child is going to be born in a poor situation does that mean we should kill it no if the mother doesn't want the baby does that mean the baby deserves to die no if the mother dies after she gives birth to the baby does that mean there's no one around to take care of the baby no there's mm-hmm. always adoption there's a father involved there's 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 other options beside abortion i don't think abortion should even be considered an option when there's plenty of parents out there ready and willing to adopt can we can we hold it there and then get to that topic maybe through we have two more hours sure. so we have plenty of time but i want to get to these phone calls because they have been 
holding on with the patience of a saint. Hmm. <laughs> All right. Sure. So to speak. So to speak. Yeah. So let's see who's up first. It is uh, Chris calling from Santa Clara. You're in the air. <clears throat> Thanks much. I wanted to uh, just kind of compliment the, the caller who called in and talked about disillusionment. Um, <clears throat> I think he actually brings up a, a really important point, which is, you know, whether you're looking back to the Old Testament with Abraham or with Moses or Jonah, or you're looking in the New Testament with Jesus himself, I think the consistent messaging over those thousands of years is that humans experience disillusionment at different stages of our life and trying to understand our own createdness, understand our place in, in the universe. Uh, and, you know, hopefully I think our challenge is to always try to become better formed, better spiritually prepared. And, you know, I would say part of that is by, you know, reading reading the Bible. I think it's really, you know, beneficial for anybody, regardless of their, their stage of faith, to understand the thousands of years of history in the Old Testament and, and to actually actually have to kind of dig into it and understand the concept of Midrash, you know, the, the Hebrew way of telling stories, look at the similarities within the New Testament and, you know, be able to, to gather from that the strength to, to, I guess, foster our own faith. Um, you know, for myself, you know, being somebody who's Catholic and has worked in the church, and you know, I think I've shared before, I mean, I've got my, my graduate degrees in catechetics. Uh, it's that first step of valuing Scripture. What you do with it after you take the effort to learn it, well, then that steps into the realm of faith. What, what do you three think? Thank you for the call. Uh, I think the Bible is a book of fiction, and the God of the Old Testament is one of the most unpleasant characters I've ever run across in fiction. Brenton, Daniel? Then why are you so mad at him if he doesn't really exist? I'm not mad at him. I think we know he exists. I'm mad at the people who do horrible things in his name. Me too, because they're misrepresenting him. God is good, and though people may call themselves Christian or Catholic or spiritual or whatever, God is good, and we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that's why we need forgiveness. The core of the story is God sent his only begotten Son so that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so that's an offer that we we hope to uh, extend to everybody because God is good. Whether you recognize him as good or not, it's sort of like a, a criminal running from the police. He's not pursuing God, uh, pursuing the police. The police are pursuing him and God is pursuing you. You can run from him all you want, but uh, I hope one day he catches up to you and, and gives you mercy instead of justice. The hound of heaven. Correct. Yes. I like that. I like that attitude, Brenton. I like that attitude. Yes. 479-1080. We got phone lines packed, and I tell you, we're going to get to you guys on the other side of the break. We're going to keep it short, as short as I can. Uh, Traffic and weather, that is. We'll get back to the phone calls. We're hanging out with Timothy Walton, Brenton Powers, and Daniel Bodwin. You are invited to join us at 479-1080. This is KSEO. Yeah. Well, a very reluctant convert. We're off to the races. We are. But good is, for him, his personal preference. It's what he likes. Yeah. Now, once again, utilitarianism, the most good for the most people. Why should I care about the most people? Mm-hmm. Where's the moral out there? That's what you like. Why should I care what you like? Mm-hmm. You know, I do because men are created in God's image after his likeness. So yeah. his desire to for the most good for the most people shows that he's borrowing from the Christian worldview. And he believes that men have value and dignity and should be respected and we should try to do good things. 
things for that. That's what he's assuming. He's assuming a Christian truth. That there is such a thing as good. That there is such a thing as good and that people have value. But it's still subjectively mm -hmm. based. Mm -hmm. So it's subjective and he's borrowing from our worldview. He is, in some <laughs> ways. In some ways that's based on evolution because there's no objectivity there. It's based on the survival of the species. But I've heard this one before where it's like, you know, well, we want the whole species to survive. Why should I care whether the species survive mm -hmm. after I die? Mm -hmm. There is no overmind that is like controlling what we all think and what we all desire. There isn't this thing called humanity that is pushing us yeah. to get our genes into the next generation. That's yeah. where he's trying to get us to go is to his subjective moral standard. And if, mm -hmm. if he can win points, agree with what the audience already believes, mm -hmm. that let us decide. I want to get him off the judge's seat. Mm -hmm. Who are we saying is the judge? judge of truth, of right and wrong, of he's saying that he is the judge in each person. He, individually, subjectively. But I want to keep pointing to the fact that the logical fallacy is an appeal to an authority. Mm -hmm. One caller sees him sees him as the authority, yeah. yeah. Listening to KSCO, serving Trace Pinos, Boulder Creek, and Delray Oaks. You're listening to AM 1080 KSEO Santa Cruz. It is 510. We hope you're enjoying the show so far. We have two hours left. Plenty of phone lines at 479-1080 open. I shouldn't say plenty, but about half of our phone lines are still open. Plenty of time to get in if you want. You can send a text message to 218-5726 or email dm at kseo.com. Before we go on, uh, you guys, I just want to mention that, uh, you know, when Scott called, somebody said, hey, I didn't, I didn't get the point of his call. The point of Scott's call was to uh, let people know about Timothy's credentials and that Timothy is um, well-studied and is going to ask you guys good questions. Um, he, he is, you know, he, he's a great guy to have here. That, that was the point of Scott's call. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. And that is why I'm so glad to have Timothy here to join us. And I'm always glad when you guys are here, too, but I... I appreciate good discussions, and, and Timothy is here to, um, to help us do that. Yeah, we appreciate you being here too, Timothy, and, and clearly you've done your homework, and I'm enjoying, we're enjoying the conversation very much. Yeah, me too. Good. All right, do you want to get to some phone calls, you guys? Yes, yes please. please. All right, let's head out to um, Morgan. He's calling on a cell phone. You're in the air, Morgan. Thank you for the call. Hi. So um, I, I got a couple couple things to ask. Um, so if the earth was created how the Bible describes it, just like a snap of the finger or spoke it into existence, like you said, um, so he made the earth as is. So, like, fossil fuels, do you believe that fossil fuels, like petroleum, is made of long-dead organisms underground? Uh, yes. we, we don't believe that the world was created as is, per se, because yeah. we, we're seeing a fallen world. It's fallen from the glory of the original creation. Everything was very good when God made it. There was no death, so there was no, no dinosaurs to be buried under the bones yet, <laughs> un under the earth yet. Yes. But those fossil fuels come from uh, the, the dinosaurs. We believe dinosaurs existed. And of course. Fossil fuels are a product. Actually, uh, I think it supports the, the biblical record that there was uh, God created everything. Thing, including the animals and the dinosaurs and then there was a flood a lot of the dinosaurs were buried in the cataclysm of the flood and uh, that's that's I think dinosaurs support the Bible absolutely the 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 flood it actually makes sense so the uh, fossil fuels and things like that they don't take millions of years to create it just takes the
the right conditions, and and the the flood produced those right conditions in order to make fossil fuels. So yeah, they're real. They're really from dead animals. Well, wait a minute. Do you think that dinosaurs and rabbits existed at the same point in time? Yes. Yeah, they're all the uh, land animals were created on the sixth day. Same, Correct. Same as man. So why why uh, when we excavate for fossils do we not find rabbit fossils with dinosaurs? <laughs> Maybe they ran quicker up the hill. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, There's a lot okay, of we donations. Don't, yeah. I don't know about the that whether that's true that we don't find rabbit yeah. fossils. We find all kinds of animals that still exist today. Yeah, but not in the same not in the same layer of the substrata as the dinosaur fossils. Well, are you assuming the layers represent different ages? That's not our view. They're all buried at the same time. Different conditions produce different layers. Yeah, there's something called hydrological sorting where um, you know things are going to be sorted out you know, based on their weight, based on the environment that they lived in, things like that. It's, it's a little bit more of a complicated question, but yes, they did live at the same time. There's a great documentary I'd say watch, Is Genesis History? Oh, we have a caller still. Yeah, Morgan, yeah. sorry about that, Morgan. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, Morgan, yeah, so, we went off on Okay, it. Just, just to join in, um, <laughs> what, is, what is the basis, what is the, the piece of knowledge you guys get from the Bible or God that says that all these layers just happen just because they float that way? If you read the... Thank the, you for the call, Morgan. Yeah. yeah, so you could read in the book of Genesis about the flood, and also in, in the New Testament, Jesus affirmed the flood and the, uh, the the stories in the New Testament are in Old Testament we would both hold as authoritative word of God yes and so yeah there's and then there's just science you can do archaeology you can do paleontology you can do we don't deny science we just deny that the the conclusions that evolutionists put on there the uh, regarding the age of the earth yeah that's really an important point that Christians at least most Christians, do not deny science in any way, shape, or form. Um, I think Ken Ham does. No, not even remotely. The scientific method collects information about the physical world around us, but then there's a matter of taking that information and coming to conclusions, and that has to do with your philosophical mm-hmm. worldview. And and frankly, if you think Ken Ham ignores science, then you really haven't read a whole lot about Ken Ham. I would I would encourage you to dig a little deeper. Mm. Um, well, you're you're familiar, of course, with his Ark exhibit. Um, yeah, we actually went there last we've been year. There. Yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And um, it's my understanding that in the original idea, he wanted to have live animals in the exhibit. Um, Correct. Like zoos. And mm-hmm. There is a petting zoo there, but yeah, not but it's right. outside. But, but that the reason he could not actually have live animals in the exhibit is because um, it was a practical nightmare um, mm-hmm. that the ark just could not be built in a way that would house live animals. No, that's not the case. But there, there is a difference between a survival ship where they're just trying to keep the animals alive for a little over a year and and what's really a, a tourist exhibit it's an it's a museum in one way but it's also a tour exhibit and trying to deal with you know tens of thousands of people walking through is a little different than eight people taking care of a group of animals and just trying to survive totally different situations well, how, how big was this group of animals I, I think we're going down a rabbit 
trail here. You're doing you're doing a good job of getting us to have the burden of proof on this. But I want well, you're the one making the claims. Well, if if I can shift to the other foot, you made some claims earlier too about the age of the Earth. So let's 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 put you on the hot seat for a minute, if I can. Sure. Uh, You said it's been around a lot longer than you've been alive, which kind of leads me to ask this question: How do you know anything existed before you were alive? Are you a solipsist who you can only be sure of things that you've experienced? I don't think that's what a solipsist is. But um, uh, let me let me answer this way. Um, I believe that President Kennedy was murdered in Dallas on November 22, even though I hadn't been born yet. But there were lots of people who were eyewitnesses, none of whom I've spoken to. But people have written books about that event. People discussed it on news broadcasts, which I did not see Mm. concurrently with it, but which I have seen since. And so to a certain extent, for me to believe that Kennedy was ever president, I have to rely not just on the word of people that I have talked to, but I have to rely on them relying on people they have talked to. So if you have to rely on people, there's a person that calls in and says, John Lennon was killed by uh, Stephen King, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yep. And now, you wouldn't hold that, well, since you have to believe in what people say, you don't believe I don't that. have to believe everybody. I, I believe the, the people who have credibility. And in general, when it comes to the age of the earth, I believe that scientists who have spent their lives studying it have more credibility than bronze age goat herders. That's kind of a derogatory way to refer yeah. to the uh, brilliant King Solomon, who was the most wise man, the son of... Uh, he son didn't of write speak. Genesis. No. But you know what? You're, you're choosing not to just follow what scientists say, but a particular set of scientists that believe with yes. your presuppositions, those are the ones that you choose to follow. You know, um, there. once yeah, again, there is a, a consensus of, in science. No, there there isn't. There is a consensus in the scientists you choose to believe, and we have a different set of scientists with a different set of presuppositions. That's what it comes down to. They have a different starting point, and which starting point is better? Which starting point is reliable? The idea that nothing exploded and created everything is not a starting point I'm willing to believe in. I'm not going to I'm not going to start with that. I'm going to go with God revealing himself in his word, and I found that word to be trustworthy, and uh, you know, so that's, that's where I'm going to start. It's a matter of authority. It's a matter of authority. And thank you for revealing the, what your authority is for knowing what it happened before you existed. Uh, we all are going to have to uh, see whether the authorities we're trusting in are reliable. Now, if some information came out that shows that our authorities are wrong, then we should all reconsider. Do you, do you think that the Bible is inerrant? The Bible yes. is the authority that we're leaning upon. That the, In its original writing, mm-hmm. it was inerrant, yes. Yes. Um, so do you think that man was created before animals or animals were created before man? You've read Genesis. I know. I've read that there are two different creation accounts. There's chapter one and there's chapter two. We've got one that gives the details and one that gives an overview. We got into this four years ago. I know where you're going. So Genesis one gives us the six days of creation. On day six, both the animals and man and woman were created. Correct. uh, Chapter two doesn't give us the chronology of what happened on day six. It gives us the order of creation in terms of what it's for. He created a garden 
and placed man in it and said, take care of everything. And he brought the animals to Adam. He named them, but didn't find a suitable helper for him. Then the Lord put him to sleep. And, you know, the story took the rib and made Eve and brought him to him. And he said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And God said, for this reason, man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. And that's the foundations for marriage. That's foundations for gender. That's foundations for creation. There's no contradiction between chapter one and chapter two. There isn't. You got to remember that, you know, the Bible is a book of history in many ways, but it's also a book of literature in different sections use different literary devices in order to express what they want to express. And you have to keep that in mind when you're looking at it. There's no contradictory information. It goes through the information and presents it in a different way because it has a different purpose. Timothy? Um, Well, I think there's tons of contradictions. Um, For example, um, Genesis chapter 1 says that the earth was created before light. No, it said it was created before the sun. In the beginning, let there be light. Uh, it was the third verse of the Bible, so it says there was light before the earth. No, the earth was created in the second verse. Um, I would take verse 1 and 2 as a, as a uh, subject sentence, as mm-hmm. a theme. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did that happen? Well, first it had no form, and then God said, let there be light, and light was. And then he goes through and calls that the first day. Then let the waters... I mean, we can read Genesis 1. It doesn't read that way. (laughs) Just take chapter 1, verse 1, as a subject sentence. It's not like he created the heavens and the earth, and then he recreated it. That is one view some people have to account for the dinosaurs and try to fit billions of years in there. We We have a bunch of phone calls, you guys. Let's take calls. Let's take calls. Colonel Terry is here, and and I want to get to his phone call because I don't want him to stroke out. He's been waiting for a long time. Uh, thank <laughs> you for the call, Colonel Terry. Well, I, I feel it's important to be patient in the defense of wisdom and reality recognition, as does Timothy Walton. And Timothy, it's great to hear you participating. Um, I respect your IQ and your intellectual integrity highly, sir. On the reality about all traditional religions, since the invention of microscopes and the telescope, rational, informed thinking people have been greatly liberated from the enslaved tyranny of religious superstitions and fallacious faith doctrine delusions. As Stephen Hawking said, God and religion are both fairy tale fantasies and make-believe nonsense for adults no more provable real than is the Easter Bunny. No fully educated and honest modern thinking person believes in any of the traditional religion because proof of this is in Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Kant, Voltaire, Ingersoll, Dawkins, Hitchens, Daryl Ray, Carl Sagan, among the agnostic, agnostic and atheist thinkers. Among Freud, fear of death is, is the origin of religions, according to Freud's analysis, and he proves it. Uh, the New Testament Bible you guys make reference to is mostly fiction. Uh, the Old Testament is primarily Hebrew historical records and similar fiction. So did you want to interact at all or just preach? Let me hear it. Uh, let me make my because point. Because we, we were enjoying our interaction with Timothy. If all oh, you're going to do is preach, then, uh, then no, I'm no, not no. sure that this is really helpful. I, I'm summarizing my point, and then you can react. Manip- dominate people with fear, superstitions, and mythology, and share delusional faith indoctrination. Similarly, totally unproven, I think you'll agree with me, is the preposterous Islamic and Muslim fantasies of a never-seen Allah. Uh, All right. All right, Colonel Terry, let's, let's hold it there, and let's get a response from Brenton and Daniel. Uh, There's really not much to respond to. It was just a, a, a set of emotionally expressed beliefs. You know, there there's yeah. no question. There's no D- real point of interaction there. Timothy, you know? do you would you agree that there are plenty of informed, intelligent people that do believe in 
God. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah I, th- I think it's very, that's one of the things that bugs me about uh, that argument is to say, well, only intelligent mm-hmm. people, do, you know, that's just, that's nonsense. There are plenty of intelligent, smart people mm-hmm. who believe in God. Um, yeah, basically ridiculous. his whole point of view was, I'm smart and you're dumb. And, you know, that's not really a respectful <laughs> way to have a dialogue. Yeah, I mean, I Timothy agree. obviously disagrees with us, but he is treating us with respect, and I appreciate that very much. Yeah. So at well, least you know, then we can interact and we can learn from yeah. each other and we can, you know, that, I mean, that's, that's the way the dialogue, I think, should be. I wish that I believed in God. Mm. I wish that I could have this faith that so many people around me take for granted. Mm-hmm. I'm in Why the same boat. You? Why yeah. can't you? Because it doesn't make any sense. So if it doesn't make sense, it, is it God's fault? Or is there maybe other yeah, things he, at play well, that, that look, make if, it... You're the one who's asserting that, that God is omnipotent. Yeah, mm-hmm. correct. So I believe God is omnipotent, and he has then already revealed... it is revealed, his fault. He has already revealed that he exists. I think we know this. I think there's other reasons why we deny it. I'll share part of my story was I was raised by an, an atheist stepdad, and my eighth, older sister became an atheist. I wasn't raised in the church, um, and I became a Christian. Well, I, I had heard about Jesus when I was seven, but I became a real Christian, I believe, when I repented of my sins and put my trust in Jesus at age 17, after understanding that God has a better plan for my life than I could come up with, and my resistance to him before that was, well, maybe life is an experiment. Why is, you know, I had all the same questions a lot of us or a lot of people have asked already, but I found solid answers that are reliable and God revealed himself to me in a way that I couldn't deny him. It wouldn't be right or ethical to deny him. I was without excuse because God has revealed himself to us. So you had a road to Damascus moment. I did. Yes, Jesus revealed himself to me as I See, was I'm incredibly living in rebellion jealous. against I, him. I wish he would I wish he'd come down and reveal himself to me like he did to you and to Paul. There's enough in creation that testifies that there's a creator. Mm, intelligent design so. shows there's intelligent designer. The yeah. fact that we're arguing about what is right and moral tells us that there is a moral judge and lawgiver. So well, there there's there no is. excuse, the, Timothy. Um 701 Ocean Ave is the court of justice in Santa Cruz and <laughs> There's a set of judges there who will decide what's right and what's not. Well, there's higher judges than that if you go to the Supreme Court, and then we're supposed to be one nation under God. If it's just based on man's arbitrary opinions, then that's subjective moral reasoning. We reject that because there is a God who says what is right and wrong. And if we are in agreement with him, then we can know what's right and wrong. Those judges don't just randomly make decisions. Our legal system is based on a set of moral fundamentals that are, I believe, hardwired into us. In Scripture, it says that God has written his law in our heart and our conscience bears witness. You know, it is against the law to murder murder somebody because people have value and dignity, and that is something that's, once again, hardwired into us by God. We know yeah, that I don't there think is value to humanity. Sociopaths exist. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, there are some people that there is something broken, and Scripture talks about our conscience being seared. We can get to the point where we've denied and forced down, suppressed God's truth for so long mm-hmm. that we can't even find it anymore. But that's not our natural state. That's not the way we were born. 
born. I think yeah. everybody was born an atheist and um, uh, only came to a belief in God because of indoctrination at the hands of others. You can believe that. The scripture says differently, and we're going to go with our standard. That's what God has given us. Once again, revelational epistemology and theology, and you know, we believe what God says respectfully before we're going to believe what you say. And he says that we all mm-hmm. have a knowledge of God. Yeah. And unless you start with God, you really can't know anything for certain. No. Can you? Certainly not morality. So God gives us a foundation for truth. I hope you enjoyed Dwell on Truth. For more episodes, go to dwellontruth.org. May God bless you.